Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here as always. Slight change to the podcast plan for this week because James and I were going to do an Arscast Extra today following the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg with Liverpool. However, as I'm sure you all know at this point, that game has been postponed. So we will move that extra Arscast Extra to after the first leg next week. Uh, which is taking place Thursday of next week. And, of course, then upcoming, we've got the North London Derby. So James and I will be here next Friday with an extra extra. But for today, I'll be talking to Andrew Allen in a couple of moments' time. Plenty going on this week, to be fair. Even in spite of that postponement, there was an FA charge. The FA charged Arsenal's players with failing to conduct themselves in an orderly manner like a bunch of schoolboys who are told to queue for anything. It's never orderly. There's always something going on, someone flicking someone's ear or whacking them in the side of the head. That's just what happens. But was that what Arsenal did? I don't think so. Uh, We got a £20,000 fine, which we have paid. There's some players coming back from loans and maybe going out again, some of the young players going on. There's fixture congestion to talk about. And, of course, the moving of the Carabao Cup games has meant that the Burnley game, which was supposed to take place on Saturday 22nd of January, will now take place on Sunday the 23rd of January. And it has inconvenienced a lot of Arsenal fans. Um, You know, people come from far away, whether that's in the UK or whether they have to get a flight and cross seas and all the rest of it. A lot of people have bought tickets for uh, flights and trains and hotels and all of that kind of stuff. And what are we, you know, I know it's relatively early January, but still from the 6th of January to the 22nd of January to change fixtures at that point is not great. It doesn't take fans into account. And if people want to say, well, it's just because of the Carabao Cup, I am told very reliably that the Burnley game was likely to move anyway. Whether the Carabao Cup games are moved or not, those fans were still going to be inconvenienced because the fixtures were going to change. And the notice period given to supporters, not just Arsenal fans, but to football fans in the Premier League up and down the country about fixture changes, time changes, date changes, is just not good enough. It is not good enough. It costs people money. And, you know, I know it's naive to think 
that the needs and the wants of football supporters will be taken into account, but they really, really are taking the piss at the moment, even with the very exceptional circumstances that we're in. So to anybody affected by that uh, change for the Burnley game, I'm really sorry for you guys. And hopefully, hopefully you can sort it out um, without too much extra expense. But I do know for sure that there are people who are planning on going to that game who, who now can't because of the day change. And that's a real fucking kick in the teeth for those guys so uh yeah look plenty going on including a a a a song that roma fans have made for ainsley maitland niles which was doing the rounds on twitter which uh, look as somebody who has made and partaken in some very very dodgy arsenal related songs i think i'm uh speaking from a position of authority when i say this is pretty much off the charts you might have seen chris wheatley uh, retweet this but this is a roma fan singing a song of welcome to ainsley maitland niles who i think if he heard it would turn around and go back the other way Está arribando Metal Nice. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Arriba Metal Nice. Está arribando Metal Nice. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Arriba Metal Nice. Está arribando Metal Nice. Oh, nice. That comes from a Twitter account called The Animal Violista. And uh, the song is The Rhythm of the Night from Corona. You might remember from the early 90s. It was, uh, I think, an Italian group, actually. Uh, Early 90s kind of, I don't know if it was a club classic, but perhaps one of those uh, holiday resort club classics. But I'm not necessarily sure that particular version is going to go down as well across the dance floors of Europe, when people are allowed back on the dance floors, of course. Right, let's get on with the show. <laughs> and uh, as I said earlier, I'm joined by Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Good evening. Good evening. Do we say Happy New Year at this point? What is the, the cutoff point for that? I know Larry David's cutoff point is uh, three days, and after that, you don't say Happy New Year. But, like, can you do a week out of it? I don't know. I mean... We could have done it for show, but I'm almost certain I've already done it to you like two or three times in private other circumstances. But yeah, yeah for the show, why not? Happy New Year. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, look, um, we should really have been talking about uh, the Carabao Cup semi-final. Um, I suppose briefly we could touch on the postponement and everything else. Uh, how do you view this? Because, look, more and more COVID cases are being announced by clubs and more and more postponed postponements are likely i think um the new variant is is particularly transmissible um thankfully it appears that most of the people who are contracting it are are uh, experiencing mild symptoms but that still doesn't lessen the the impact of the virus overall it's better if people don't get it because of all the reasons that we understand but do you share any frustration that I've seen doing the rounds online for, from Arsenal fans who, you know, want to play Liverpool at this time? They want to play a Liverpool who are, who are a bit weak. Um, or is this just something we're going to have to accept now and that football is going to have to accept that that this kind of thing could happen and will continue to happen as long as this variant is doing the rounds? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see both 
both sides of the argument, really. I mean, obviously, there's some frustration at the fact that Liverpool were going to be depleted, mm. and it's a semi-final and an opportunity to to go to Wembley, and you know, there's silverware on the line, and it's a competition we've not won in you know thirty odd years. So, um, yeah, on that level, I completely understand it. I'm relatively zen about the whole thing, though, because I I kind of feel that you know this could happen to Arsenal at any point, mm. and while the rules for the different competitions are somewhat confusing, there's obviously some discrepancies there about, you know, why Liverpool are probably going to be able to play Shrewsbury on Saturday, even though they can't play us today. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the, those discrepancies are causing some confusion. And I think that the lack of transparency may be about uh, what the clubs are reporting, how they're reporting mm. it that is quite obviously going to cause a few kind of head-scratching moments. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to accuse Liverpool of, of, of playing the system, but the number of COVID cases plus the number of players who were injured plus the number of players who are unavailable because of AFCON is the reason why the fixture isn't going ahead. It's not just COVID. And we don't have any transparency on the extent of those injuries mm. and... You know, I guess that goes for all the other clubs as well. Everybody can kind of hide behind the rules a little bit, and yeah, that's that's far from ideal. Uh, yeah, look, it's it's weird that it's only a few weeks ago we got some um, clarity from the Premier League as to what clubs are required to have available to them in order for games to go ahead. Until that point, we had no idea, and like. <laughs> We saw our game against Brentford go ahead. And look, I think it is fair to say that at that point, the circumstances were different. Um, it was the start of the season. We did have key players out, but but clearly not enough key players for the opening game of the season to be considered um, for postponement. Whereas we're seeing now maybe fewer COVID cases, but perhaps decisions being made to, um, what's the word, inhibit more transmission within squads or, you know, from from one squad to another. Um, but that, that lack of transparency, I think, is a really big thing for fans. You know, everyone understands what's going on at the moment. Everyone understands the pandemic. Everyone understands the transmissibility. But if you're saying they just don't have enough players because of suspected COVID cases uh, and other absentees, nobody knows what what the the balance is there and i think you can respect people's individual uh, private health which i think is an issue for some people they might want to tell people they have covid they might not but you can still do numbers official numbers of players who are out via a pcr test i would imagine is is the threshold for this and that way as fans get frustrated by all kinds of things where we don't have information you know, you could you could make it more understandable to people when decisions are made, when it comes to postponing fixtures and all the knock-on effects that that has with other fixtures being moved, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. And I think, I mean, as I said at the, at the beginning, the, the fact that the rules are slightly different for each competition is, is, is what, you know, mm. is really not helping things, you know. So when everybody saw that Liverpool basically confirmed that their FA Cup tie was going to go ahead, that is because the FA Cup rules state that you have to have 14 fit players, including registered players at youth level. Mm. So, you know, whether they like it or not, they're going to have enough players probably to, to, to field a side at the weekend. 
Um, you know, the Premier League have put all sorts of, you know, you know, I think there's six points that they go through and consider when it comes to their list. And there's a bit more kind of, you know, I don't know, a bit more detail to it, I guess. Mm. Um, and, and the EFL kind of have allowed, you know, there to be a level of kind of, well, you know, you kind of should have 14 players, but we'll have to take it on a case-by-case basis. And I think the fact that Liverpool ended up training, you know, closing their training ground, something they were very kind of eager to announce to everybody. I mean, they were really... <laughs> I think the way that they went about the fact that they kind of told everyone there was a COVID outbreak, told everybody their training ground was closed. And then the final straw was telling everybody that their assistant coach had COVID as if that in any way, shape or form was going to be, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean, Arsenal were down several coaches at the weekend and we still continued in that circumstance. Manager but, I mean, and coach. Yeah. Manager and coach. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I think we'd go around in circles. I, I just I can't be bothered to get angry about it because I know that at any moment this could completely flip and be Arsenal. Mm. And in those circumstances, if the rules allow for the you know thing to be postponed and, and everything so far as far as I can see is is within those rules. Um, and I get, I get it; the rules are slightly different to last year. But you know, if this happens to Arsenal, we're going to be the first people going game off. Please, thank you very much. Um, so look, it is just what it is. What it is, we'll just have to live with it. I think there's going to be a few more ups and downs. Obviously, the the logjam of fixtures is going to be tricky to mm. say the least. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that's going to play out once, especially once the European stuff gets going again. Um, I know that they've basically got rid of FA Cup replays, so that will sort of make a little bit of extra space uh, during the week for some for some games to be caught up on. But yeah, it's it's going to be really really hectic, and and you know Arsenal are in a, a a fairly had been in a fairly decent position up to recently, where you know our games were relatively unaffected, but now we've got three games, I guess, sort of mm. on the back burner. Well, I mean, we talked earlier in the season about how a lack of Europe might give us time to rest and rotate between games, but the way these fixtures are piling up, um, we'll have to wait and see if that applies. But of course, all the teams that do have European competition uh, are going to be in some way affected by this as well, because there are a lot of games that have been called off. And you're right to say that this could easily affect Arsenal. Um, You know, it's the classic, uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander approach to this kind of thing. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. I mean, the fixture congestion... It's not ideal at the moment, but it does feel perhaps like we should have a relatively full squad by the time it really starts to take effect. I know that we're playing uh, Nottingham Forest on Sunday, and we might come to that in a bit, but it's going to be basically one game in, what, 12 days before we play our uh, first semi semi-final uh, of the Carabao Cup. So it's not quite a winter break, but it is perhaps a chance to recharge some batteries and and do some work on the training ground and prepare for what will be two big, big games next week. Obviously, Forest on Sunday, like I said, we'll talk about that in a moment, maybe about what what kind of team we'll put out. But I think when you've got a semi-final against Liverpool and then a North London derby, like I don't know that there's a great deal of scope for rotation in there. I've seen some people say we should play all the kids against Liverpool in the semi-final. And I'm thinking... 
Well, that sounds good on paper, but nobody's going to understand if you do that in a semi-final against Liverpool uh, and then you don't get the result in in the North London derby. I mean, I think you should be able to put out a strong team for for both of those games. Then what happens when you get the the Chelsea game that's got to be rescheduled? There's a Liverpool game that's got to be rescheduled in the Premier League. There's the Wolves game that's got to be rescheduled as well. So there is going to be a period where we are... I don't know if we're going to be playing every two or three days, but but we're going to be back on the kind of schedule that we had and should be relatively used to when we were playing in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the squad is going to be relatively stretched towards the second half of this month, especially with the players that are, are missing, which may give cause to consideration of dipping into the market. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the players have to be ready for regular football from from here on out, you know. And I think most of them will be able to cope with that because, in terms of uh, the number of total games, I don't think it's going to be too much more than what they're they're usually playing. I mean, it's you know, it's it's kind of it depends how far they go in the cup competitions, really, doesn't it? Um, mm. If we make it to the final, obviously, that's a you know, no no player is going to be complaining about being in a final. Um, this is this is these are good problems I think for this Arsenal team to have. If if the games stack up, it's because we're doing well. And um, you know, I, I'm not I wouldn't be wanting to see. I mean, the, we haven't played the kids really that much, even against the smaller side. So the idea that we might chuck them in in a semi final situation is is nonsensical. I mean, we'll, we'll go as strong as we can at the moment for as as many games as we can. And you know, Arteta's actually been really loath to switch the team up. I mm. thought there were opportunities probably in the last month where he could have done some more rotation, knowing full well that some players' legs are going to be particularly um, tested with 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 missing um, folk. Mm. Uh, in the next few weeks, so yeah, look, I, I think we just have to we just have to go for it. I'm 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 all for all guns blazing at the moment, and just hopefully keep our fingers crossed that we avoid any major injuries. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we have a squad uh, in line with the one we had a couple of years ago, where if you wanted to, you could go in and you could play Reese Nelson and Joe Willock and Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Eddie Nketiah and maybe another couple from the youth system to really flesh out your team for games like this. We don't have that. I mean, Charlie Patino is the name on everybody's lips, uh, you know, has his name sung from the, the stands at the Emirates. But, you know, let's not pretend that he is 100% ready to start playing first-team football. There is a gap now between the the the... The generation that we have and had, you know, some of whom are in the team right now, Saka Smithrow, of course, um, and what's coming next at youth level. It, you know, there there's a gap that I think some of those players need to be bridged. Even someone like Foller and Balagoon, who is going to go on loan this month, you know, a good player who who can do it week in week out at under twenty three level. But in order to come back to Arsenal, in order to really stake a claim needs to go and play regular football, which we hope he's going to do between now and the end of the season. So basically the best player we have at under-23 level isn't really ready for regular first-team football at Arsenal uh, at this moment in time. So that probably tells you what way that team selection for next week's semi-final is going to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is interesting that the the pipeline of development of the the next generation coming through because we haven't had as many opportunities to blood them 
And I guess last year when we were blooding some younger players in, in, in Europe and stuff, it was actually the guys who are now so important, you know, central to our team. You know, we were looking at a Saka and a Smith Rowe and saying, oh, you know, the next generation, but, you know, they are now mainstays in the team. And uh, I, I think it's been curious looking at the recall of a load of players from the loan spells already, which have been taking place in the last few days. It's almost to suggest that they haven't quite played out the way they wanted them to. Um and I'll be curious to see who they send out next as well, because over the course of the next, you know, six months is a massive opportunity for some players to go and actually lay down a marker and say, look, I, I might be ready. Mm. Um, but I don't expect to see too many kids now between, you know, now and the, the end of the season. As you, as you mentioned, Charlie Patino might get some game time against Nottingham Forest. Mm. There's talk of, uh, is it Salah Dean yeah. maybe being on the bench? which uh, I guess would be another reason to, to get people excited. Amari Hutchinson is another one who's been knocking on the door. But when you've got, you know, Balogun very likely to, to, to leave, uh, to, to go to Middlesbrough by the looks of things. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it really. I can't see anybody else breaking through at this point. No, me neither. Uh, the squad as it stands, um, we're without Thomas Partey, we're without Mohamed Elneny, we're without... Nicolas Pepe and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, all of whom have gone to AFCON. So there is a, a bit of a dint in the numbers that we have available to us. On that basis, are you a bit surprised at what's going on with Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Roma? And I don't just mean the, the terrible song uh, <laughs> that was doing the rounds on Twitter. Uh, you know, it looks like that is going to happen. And just in terms of squad numbers and security and everything else. It's hard to understand. I said this on the preview podcast, which we did on Patreon yesterday with Lewis, but the only way it makes any sense to me on a rational level is they must have somebody else coming in or they feel really confident that they've got an internal solution, if you like, to cope with an injury or a suspension in midfield. When we've got Sambi and we've got Granit Xhaka and they're the only two recognised central midfield players. Yeah, it's definitely... I mean, it's definitely a bit of a risk if they haven't lined anybody else up. Um, at the same time, I mean, Maitland-Niles has been really on the fringe of things recently, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. he, he had a bit of a burst in the opening part of the season. But, I mean, that's why you have squads, right? You, you have them for the depth and we will have no depth in the next three to four weeks. And that that's definitely a, a concern. And there's even been suggestions that Xhaka wasn't in training this week, which would basically leave you with, uh, you know, Sambi potentially anchoring the midfield. And then who else? You know, I guess you could throw Charlie Patino in there. But you then have to play Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe and Saka somehow in some formations, cram them all in. Mm. Um yeah, it's. It, I think there's, the timing is a little bit surprising because, I mean, we could definitely wait till the end of the month if we wanted to, unless Roma are so, so eager and it's now or never for the deal. And we're probably looking at the summer and thinking, well, maybe they're you know, maybe there's going to be an obligation to buy or some kind of uh, clause where they might look at this and go, okay, that's decent money. Um, so there is a bit of me that wonders whether there might be a little surprise deal up our sleeve, although... You know, midfield is the one area of the pitch where we've not really been linked with many players in the last few weeks. I say one area. I mean, we've been linked with a whole host of attacking midfielders and, and, and attackers, but mm. nobody really in the sort of deep-lying midfield role. I think there was one mention of a guy at Bologna called Matthias Svanberg, who's a Swedish guy. 
but aside from that, I mean, it's and maybe that Bruno Gimaraish guy. I don't know yeah, too but, much about him, but I mean, he's always on the radar. It seems. Well, he's uh, Kia Drabchin's an intermediary, so yeah. I suppose that lends it some Arsenal credibility. It's an interesting one, isn't it? This this January window because it's very complicated. It's complicated for uh, clubs who want to buy or loan players. It's complicated for clubs who who maybe want to send players out because you're wondering all the time, like, are you going to get the four or five COVID cases that leave you with a very stretched squad but not sufficiently stretched that the game might get called off? Like, you think about how much depth do you keep in reserve? Does that affect your decision-making? Like, someone like Balagoon, where every part of you is saying he needs to go and for his development and for the way we want to um, build this player into an Arsenal player, fingers crossed, we have to at some point get him out of under 23 football and give him senior football. But then there's also the like, well, you know, what if something happens to Lacazette and what if Inkedia goes in January? You know, we could just hold on to him. You, you at some point have to think about the player before the overall situation or before the club. And that can be a little bit difficult because the temptation might well be to hang on to someone, even if you know they might not play, but just having them in reserve gives you that little bit of a, a safety net. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree. It's a bit of a quandary for the for the, the guys who are trying to build the squad and make sure that the you know, look, we have to look at following Balogun and go, this is a guy who's going to make it at Arsenal and therefore we need to get him ready to be the guy who mm. takes over in the long term. We have to take a bit more of a long-term lens because I think it's really easy to do what we've done by just keeping people like Maitland-Niles this season, maybe even like Eddie and Ketia. And actually you find you find that they just sit on the bench and get slightly frustrated and then you find their value is dropping if you want to sell them and, you know, or they end up going on a free, which is probably what's going to happen with Nketiah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... Yes, I've always described the transfer and squad building stuff as like a Rubik's cube. There's so many different bits that you've got to get right, and it's it's you can be frustra- frustratingly close to doing that, and 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 still be very far away from it being right. So, I think the one thing that maybe we can take heart from, although it's not something Arsenal tend to do, is you could send players on loan and be able to recall them, um, which is something I guess with Balogun that you could do, but it seems a bit like you're just throwing a a level of uncertainty into their sort of position yeah. when they're supposed to be settling. So I wonder would the other club be into that too? Like, do you spend the time and the energy to build a squad for the second part of the season and then, you know, put allow a clause which takes away a significant part or, or an important part of whatever plan you're trying to put in place for, you know, mm. those last three or four months. So I'm not sure that's necessarily realistic. I mean, there's... We may also be looking at the COVID rules and thinking to ourselves, look, if it gets so bad, <laughs> if we don't mm. have enough players, we don't have enough players, you know, and, and games will have to get postponed until we do. Um, there may be kind of looking at that and thinking, well, there's, there is a, a safety net of some sort there, but, you know, that's that, that, that assumes that the, the lack of uh, transparency happens between the clubs and mm. the Premier League as much as it does between everybody else and us, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of expecting a few of the fringe guys to, to move on in January on loan anyway, you know, the likes of 
Kalasinac and, you know, maybe a Pablo Mari I could imagine heading out in addition to Wensley. I think Kalasinac wouldn't be a surprise. I'm not sure what the injury status is with him. Um, You know, I think you could probably drop a right back, whether it's Callum Chambers or whether it's Cedric. One of those could go. Pablo Mari, like, I, I don't think really he is at the level, but in terms of somebody in the squad who's relatively experienced and who could come in and do a job for a game or two, like, you know, Sunday's game is a perfect one. You know, Nottingham Forest, Gabriel is suspended, you know, get him in there, let him play and just see him there until the end of the season. I don't think we have quite enough depth at at centre half to let him go, but, you know, there are others who could possibly go. Um, this talk of Inkedia. Um Yeah, I think I, I, I think since, since the last time we spoke, so I, I, I came on the show just after we'd lost to Everton, and I was, we were mm. talking with Clive, and I was very, very surprised that Inketia got the minutes off the bench that night. I mean, we didn't really know that there was potentially an Abamyang story brewing, and um, and I, it, it obviously it became very clear, or Arteta made it very clear that he had not given up on re-signing Inketia. Mm. And I do wonder whether he's thinking, well, you know, what's what's 10 million quid or whatever in January at this point? Why don't we just keep him, do everything we can to persuade him? If he ends up in the side and he scores a few goals, maybe he'll, mm. you know, maybe he'll think about sticking around. Um, Did you see his interview after the, the hat-trick in the, the EFL Cup? In Kedia's interview, I mean, I think... I mean, he's was- made it very clear that he wants to play football. And, you know, Arteta keeps stressing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think that's a complete, the completely the right attitude. I think if I was him and I'd been stuck behind Alex Lacazette and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and, you know, uh, Aubameyang had a new contract and was going to be around for a few years and, and you know, and, and Balogun had just been given a new deal and there was all sorts of talk and they share an agent, I think. Yeah. You know, I could I could start to, and Martinelli obviously is, is there. You, you can start to think, well, where, where, where does my future lie? But if you then sort of look around and you're saying, well, Eddie, look, you know, Lacquer's out of contract, Bamiang's on the naughty step, Balogun may not be ready next season. You know, you could easily be an Arsenal striker next season and get game time. So I imagine what that's what Arteta is probably trying to present to him. But. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really tally with the idea that we are looking for the centre forward who could take us another step forward, well, though, does the, it? Because yeah, there, I, there is know, that as well. With all yeah. due respect to Eddie, I don't, you know, I don't think he is that player. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of 99% sure he's not that player. Um, you know, football can always surprise you. So, yeah, I, I guess it depends on what's on offer um, and what yeah. kind of depth that we would have if we were to let him go because it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with Aubameyang and... That would leave you, if you let Nketiah go, it would leave you with just Lacazette as a recognised striker, even though I think Martinelli is an option there. But it's not really sufficient depth. And I do think there's an issue at, at striker anyway. Yeah. You know, even if sure. you have Aubameyang and even if you have Lacazette and you do have Martinelli there, I, I think our, our, you know, as good as things have been of late and as encouraging as Manchester City was, and it really was, you know, there were loads of things that we can take from that game and the performance and the way that we acquitted ourselves. But if I was to think about one real worry about this team that I have going into this January transfer window, it would be goals. And it would be the ability to 
to nick goals in games when we really, really need them. And I know we've got Saka scoring, Martinelli scoring, Odegaard scoring, Smith Rowe scoring, and that's great. I think it's really positive, but it's a lot to hang on, you know, four players who are 20, 20, 20 and 22, you know, to, to bring you through right to the end of the season. I think Lacazette has done good work of late, but just doesn't score enough goals and doesn't take enough shots. And that's not to take anything away from what he has contributed, but he is at the end of the day, the number nine. He is a striker. And I, I worry that we don't have enough goals. So as much as I'm concerned about lack of depth in central midfield at this moment in time, because I do think that's an issue, particularly if Maitland-Niles goes, as long as Partey and Elneny are, are at AFCON, we, we just don't have numbers, even though I do think we have some solutions because Odegaard could play there. I think Smith-Rowe could play there. I think, depending on the formation, I think Saka could play there. Um, you know, you don't want to move too many pieces of the puzzle around. But if, if you were to offer me a signing right now, it would most definitely be a, a striker. Um, assuming that we could get somebody who is part of this um, recruitment strategy that has worked so well, you know? Somebody who who fits in with the, the, the way we're trying to build and develop this team, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I think we've been spoiled this summer with the, the, me, the way that the players who've come in have adapted and they've done it so quickly. Mm. And I think... I, if you just start looking at next season, I would much prefer to have the striker who comes in coming in now and give him six months to to settle if mm. if you can, and 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 a summer and a proper preseason with 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 with, with everybody um, th- than to sort of tackle it later in 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 the summer. I mean, it, I I do think there's a fairly high chance that Aubameyang's time at Arsenal will be over if not this month, then definitely by June yeah, July. I agree. Yeah. I think you know maybe there's an outside chance that Lacazette might be persuaded to do a, a single year deal. Maybe I don't know. It would have to be on very decent money. Um, but it's it's one hundred percent. It is the and it's quite exciting, isn't it? Really, because yeah. strikers are glamorous. You know, they're, they're the types of people that you go to watch and you know when you pay your money as a season ticket holder or what have you. You know, that's these are the and there's some good players out there mm. that you're we're being linked with and they're really interesting players and you start looking at their profiles and you go okay yeah i mean this guy if he if he hits the mark that could actually be the missing piece in the in the puzzle um and then you only have to start worrying about how do you provide suitable backup to the rest of the you know the existing starting level mm. um i you know i i think when we were watching the uh the was it the euros in the summer mm. um the the isaac the alexander isaac fella just Mm-hmm. For me, fits the profile, doesn't it? I mean, young, exciting, really skillful, kind of got the physique. Probably still room for him to bulk out a little bit. Could be an absolutely stellar player. And you know, his name's been mentioned. There's the the Vlajevic fella at Fiorentina. I mean, I don't know so much about him, but I've watched a couple of games where he's been, and I thought, well, you know, he looks pretty useful. Um, some of the other ones slightly less, uh, you know, Anthony Martial on loan from Manchester United. I mean, that's the type of thing that will never happen. Why mm. would they want to strengthen us? Um, but there are some interesting, the, the, the Kulisevsky guy, I, I mean, that's all gone a bit quiet in the last few weeks. I yeah. don't know what's going on with him. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's exciting, though, being linked with strikers. It's far more exciting than, you know, thinking about the final piece of the puzzle than it is thinking, how the hell are we going to rebuild an Arsenal team yeah. in the space of a year? One of the final pieces of the puzzle, because yeah, I do think there course. is still room for that central midfielder. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. You know, but I, nobody blames you for that. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think about the Vlavic thing, because there was talk of uh, a bid... F- involving Lucas Torreira, who's on loan at Fiorentina, and uh, 45 million plus Lucas Torreira, who's valued at 15 million. But I don't know. I just feel like the stuff that's being leaked out and has come from, obviously, his camp about where he sees himself and what kind of club he sees himself at. And it's been, I don't know, a little dismissive of of Arsenal, whether that's deliberate, whether that's to put people off the scent. I'm not 100% sure, but it sort of feels like if you sign a player who isn't really into it, like who could be persuaded perhaps, but who isn't really into it, I just wonder if 18 months down the line we're sitting here going, well, there's another one who's uh, out in Siberia now. What are we going to do with this guy after he, you know, drives his car the wrong way up the M1 or something like that. I, you know, I'm not saying he's that kind of a guy, but I I just, I get the sense that when we're making signings these days, we are looking for- Character is big. Character is big. Like we want the quality. We want the potential. We want for these guys to be really good at what they do, but it feels like there has been quite- a focus on the character of these players and their willingness to come in and be part of what is, whether people like it, don't like it, or otherwise, it it feels like a very um, deliberate project that Mikel Arteta is trying to put together. And you're either kind of, you're all the way in. It's like, what's that old gag? You can't be a little bit pregnant. You've got to be all the way in with Mikel Arteta. So, I feel like character is something that they're really going to look at when they make, you know, a big, big signing, particularly one when we think about striker that is going to have to be, you know, if we're going to spend big, it might be big in the short term, but it's a a signing that needs to pay off over four, five, six seasons, if you know what I mean, Hmm. where this guy delivers the kind of goals that the outlay it's going to take to bring him in now makes it just seem like a pittance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the character thing is massive. I mean, I, it feels to me like we've embarked on a, a spending spree, but, you know, deliberately looking at kind of school captain, head boy kind of material-esque mm. kind of characters, you know. They're all in very different ways, though. I mean, I think, you know, maybe Erdegaard and Tomiyasu could be, t- could be grouped together. Um, you know the kind of quiet, under you know understated. Ramsdale's a bit more in your face, obviously, but they're they're kind of all kind of diligent leaders in their own way. And I think recognizing the importance of the balance of the squad as a whole, it, it feels to me that Arsenal, you know, as as Per Mertesacker admitted a couple of weeks ago, lost their way buying big name signings, and it feels to me like you know, having a superstar in amongst a load of kids just doesn't quite fit, mm. you know, unless that person is demonstrating all of the same, you know, responsibilities, which obviously it turns out maybe Pierre wasn't. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It, it, yeah, I think that that will be interesting, and which is why I kind of look at some of the names that get linked with Arsenal, I think doesn't, doesn't look like a fit now, doesn't look like an Arteta player. Yeah. And I guess over the course of the last couple of years, we haven't really known what an Arteta player looks like, but... 
maybe it's sort of coming to the to the fore now you know it took a couple of windows it took the removal of a couple of people in the technical staff mm. and learning a few harsh lessons from yeah. some previous deals and thinking okay yeah we we've got to do it differently we've got to find our way again yeah it will be very interesting to see and i think you know this month in particular january and being where we are probably unexpectedly in terms of league position i don't think too many people expected us to be in the top 4 and continuing to push for top 4 I just wonder if that is a real consideration now when it comes to doing something this window or not. Like you've got a bit of momentum and you can pick up a turbo booster, off you go, you know, with another signing. Uh, I know I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, when we signed Jose Antonio Reyes in January 2004, this was a club that uh, had... Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Canu, Sylvain Wiltord, albeit towards the end of his contract, I think. Uh, Jeremy Aliadier was c- up and coming at that point. Uh, so those are your, your five strikers. And you also had Freddie Jumberg and you also had Robert Perez, you know, and we and added... barely lost a game. Yeah. yeah. And we added a club record signing who turned out to be invaluable in uh, in that invincible season, you know, that, that when you've got a bit of momentum, maybe the thing to do isn't to sort of just coast downhill. It's to pedal a bit harder and, and pick up more speed to try and build on what you have. So I do wonder if that's something that they're thinking about, um, you know, when, when they think about should we, shouldn't we, how far do we push the boat out? How much is this guy going to cost us in January versus what we think potentially we could get him for in the summer? Is the discrepancy in that let's say you've got to pay an extra five million ten million but is that then rewarded um by champions league football next year and all that extra income that could come in and pay that off yeah i mean there's champions league football i mean i guess we're also sitting on three players who we know we're definitely gonna get money for in Guendouzi, Torreira, and mavropanos i mean it may not be yeah, life-changing huge, money yeah. but we know that, that that money is sitting there and it's going to come into the coffers at some point. And there's a couple of others who you should... I mean, I know we've had this conversation before and last year in particular, I remember you and James coming up with a figure where you thought it was going to be, you know, we were going to be <laughs> in DuckTales money, you know, swimming in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is some money coming in in the summer. We know that, um, which will, you know, offset, I guess, anything that we might have to overpay in January. I, I mean, I right now... The temptation for me would be to to be trying to get the striker in January if you can, because it'll set us up nicely for this. It'll give us a little bump now, and it should set us up nicely for for next season. Um, I know that's easier said than done, but and I'm excited now, which I wasn't a month ago. And yeah. I, you know, yeah. I mean, it feels right to sort of take advantage of the the general mood around the camp. Another consideration just occurred to me because, you know, if you bring a striker in in the summer transfer window, and let's imagine he is a a very good player and may well be going to the World Cup with his country, which, of course, is taking place in the winter. So Mm. you're looking at a striker... Like some players do need time to adapt. They need to come in and they need to settle to a new country. Maybe they need to learn a language or they don't need to learn a language. But, you know, 
There are differences in leagues. There are differences in football, lifestyle, all of those kind of things, which can prove challenging. You know, maybe it makes sense to bring somebody in in January so they absolutely can settle for the start of next season rather than, okay, I'm here, a bit of preseason, now we've got some games, and now, oh, World Cup, I'm going, I'm gone for X amount of weeks, got to come back post-World Cup, a bit tired, bit of a funk, whatever it might be, got knocked out in heartbreaking circumstances, now I'm a bit sad and I can't play properly, which has happened to more experienced players than some of the strikers that we've been linked with, so... I wonder, is that part of the thinking too? Yeah, 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 it could well be. I mean, I, I think yeah, yeah, amongst all of that, you mentioned the, the the kind of settling in England. And I think what's been really interesting during the summer was the fact that we bought players who could all speak English when they arrived. And that, you know, included a, a Belgian kid, a Portuguese kid, a Japanese kid. And they all spoke, <laughs> they all spoke fluent English. You know, they rocked up and I was like, oh my God, you know, and that, for me, I guess, if you're trying to make sure that the communication in every message gets through, is vitally important. And I guess, you know, you, you, I imagine now we might be looking at people again, hoping that, you know, it may not be the deal breaker, but you'd, you'd imagine it's a consideration. Mm. Well, it probably narrows down the, the subjects a little bit as well. So um, Yeah, well, it's going to be Isaac, isn't it? Because yeah. he's Swedish and all Swedes speak English. So. Perfect English. Better than most of us. So, yeah, okay, well, let's see. Now I'm getting excited about the January transfer window, and probably when we do our deadline day live blog, I'm going to be in a real fucking pissy mood when we don't sign anyone, but <laughs> let's let's see what happens. A couple of quick things uh, just to finish off. Um, Arsenal paid an FA charge, an FA fine. Was it £20,000? Yeah, 20 grand. 20 grand for failure to control uh, or for our players to conduct themselves in an orderly fashion or whatever the fuck they went on with. I mean, it is absolutely uh, a ludicrous charge based on the behavior of the players, based on what we see week in, week out in the Premier League. This, what Arsenal did, what Arsenal players did when Gabriel was sent off, like, if you want to say it's not acceptable for players to harangue the referee at any point, if that's your line in the sand, by all means, draw it, but then treat every club the same way. Lots of clubs do a lot worse than Arsenal did in that particular incident and do not face any charges. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've watched that replay of the 59th mm. minute several times and there's nothing going on there. I mean, no. the players, I mean, apart from Gabriel, who's obviously incensed by the, the decision. I mean, there's there's very little going on there amongst his teammates, of whom maybe there are six or seven who get near to the ref, but they're certainly not in his face. They're not no. waving arms. They're not going mad. It all actually, in a weird way, was calmer than I'd expect it to be. Yeah. Um and I even felt like Lacazette as a captain did his bit by making sure that Gabriel didn't get involved. So frankly, it's it's ridiculous. And I, it feels a bit like there's, you know, a bit of a punishment taking place because, you know, whether post-game lots of players were moaning about the state of the referees and, 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 and generally the the vibe from Arsenal, Arsenal fans, Arsenal players has been, we're pretty disappointed with the officiating in that game. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to kind of pick holes in things, but there's an inconsistency there, for sure. Yeah, like I, I don't. Mean, they've made a rod for their own back, right? Because the next time anyone crowds around a ref, they're going to have to to pull that. And not that clubs are going to be particularly fussed about twenty grand fine, but um, 
Yeah. From, the principle of it. Well, they've set the standard, but then, you know, we've seen double standards applied across the league in terms of uh, officiating and referee and decision-making. Yeah. You know, we, we can do the old, if that was Granit Xhaka, like next time a club or a team objects to a decision, you know, Twitter is going to be ablaze with, well, if that was Arsenal, if that yeah. was Arsenal, we'd have had like a, you know, six game or six points deducted and all of that kind of stuff. So there is that. I, I wonder what you think of talk of referees and officiating in general, because I I I don't really understand why there is a reluctance on some parts and almost an objection on the part of some people, football people, football writers, and you know people who I like and whose opinions uh, I respect to try and police the discussion of referees and refereeing standards separately from the idea that referees are abused or called names or belittled or whatever you want to say. You know, I think we intelligent people can understand the difference between questioning how or the standards, the performance levels of a particular group of people versus, you know, just calling them cunts. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, in fairness, I'll hold my hands up and say, I have been guilty of that on more than one occasion in my life. But I think it's surely incumbent on everybody who really cares for football or who cares for the game, who wants to see good football week in, week out, that when there is... Uh, room for improvement in a particular area that we are able to discuss that without other people saying, well, refereeing is a really hard job and, you know, why would you do it? You you know, you wouldn't be a referee, blah, 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 blah. We have to protect referees. Sure, protect referees from people who run onto the pitch and want to hit them over the head with a mallet. But at the same time, it's important to talk about things and it should be possible to talk about things in a rational adult way so we can have a debate discussion and from that perhaps things might be implemented and might improve and standards at premier league level and perhaps even beyond are improved because of that yeah i look the the premier league as a as a as a product must be very aware and attuned to the fact that um referees can have such a major influence over it to the point where it damages the product, right? Mm. I mean, the Premier League will not want bad referees, but for too long, I think refereeing standards have been in decline. And, um, you know, the Premier League now is so fast, way faster than even than it was 15 years ago. But some of, the, some of these guys have been running around the pitch for that long and they're not getting any quicker with age as the game <laughs> gets faster. So, uh you, you do look around, you think, you know, uh, is, is the profile of the type of person who's there the right person for it? Mm. Are they fit enough? Are they able to make the decision? What training are they doing? I, again, it comes down to transparency, right? We don't know enough about what it takes to become a referee. You know, until Amazon do an all or nothing and it's all focused on the, the referees, we won't have an insight into their personalities. We don't know anything about them. We don't know what they do to get to the top of the game, how they earn their place there. Um, we don't know anything about, you know, they're so pre 
coddled and, and, and protected, that we don't understand why they make decisions. We have ex-referees going on TV who continue to confuse matters by blatantly sticking by people when they've made mistakes, which mm. seems, again, very odd, like a weird kind of uh, sort of partisan loyalty, a, a do or die, you know, I stick by my guy next to me because he's the guy in black and, you know, that's what I was. That just seems slightly bizarre. They're not helping, that's for sure. No. I mean, Pete Walton's presence on BT Sport is not helping Stuart Atwell, um, you know, referee at a week on the weekend or indeed, you know, you know, referee any match going forward. I think all of that is is definitely up for, for debate. I think obviously the implementation of VAR is confusing they haven't sort of ironed out all the kinks there and ultimately i think we'll probably get to a point where in in years to come i don't think there'll be a referee on the pitch i think it'll all be done kind of i mean i'm talking kind of arsene wenger at levels of kind of future gazing at this point because uh you know he was always one for for, for looking at how technology might end up replacing the guys who mm. seemingly i think he always held a grudge against um yeah look, I, I don't know i mean I'm, I'm going a bit far there obviously but there is this this sense that they they need to stop being such a closed shop and i i think you're right to question it and it, obviously we tend to question it when things have gone against us and i think maybe that's we should be questioning it every day it doesn't matter whether the the the, the offenses have gone our way or they've gone the way of uh, an opponent i mm. mean we just need to be looking at these things rationally and going was that the right decision how did they make that decision will they be you know what will they do to avoid making the wrong decision again next time yeah well i mean we don't know i mean <sighs> There are suggestions maybe you you could follow the the rule of rugby and mic referees up, and we could hear their interactions on the pitch. And you know it might take a while for players to to get used to that and to learn how to hold their tongue. But it might be another way. I mean, I think when you have a discussion of refereeing, you have to also talk about player behaviour. That is a factor yeah. in in how the game is played. There is gamesmanship. They're trying to fool the referees all the time. Um, you know, nobody is whiter than white. So player behavior is a factor in the discussion that you need to have when it comes to to refereeing. But referees being mic'd up, if players know that the referee is mic'd up, if players know that what they say to a referee can and will be heard on microphones, maybe it creates that little bit of boundary that gets crossed, you know, in every game when there's a decision like, you know, at every level of football I ever played, the minute a referee gave a decision against a team, everybody on that team is, oh, referee, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and I, yeah. I'm, you know, I shouted it from the stands during an Everton game. It was picked up on fucking NBC Sports <laughs> that time. So, you know, I, I know um, what I'm saying here, you know, but. From a player's perspective, a referee's perspective, are these not things that we should be thinking about or that, sorry, we, they should be thinking about to try and raise the levels for everybody? Yeah, I mean, uh, they famously tried it, didn't they, in 1988, 89, wasn't it, when David Ellery was mic'd up for yeah. the Millwall versus Arsenal game and 
there was a controversial goal award, well, not awarded. I think Arsenal yeah. thought the ball had gone over the line and Tony Adams was calling Ellery a cheat and it all got a bit out of hand. And I guess it's, it's the bravery of the broadcaster that takes on the fact that that's, there definitely will be swearing. That's a good point because like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's it's absurd, isn't it? We're very sorry if you've heard some language <laughs> that might have offended you. And it's like, Jesus, it's a fucking football match. Come on. Yeah, yeah I, but I, I guess that is probably a, a, a big sticking point. Unless they start putting matches on at 9 p.m. after the watershed. Every game. Um, they're gonna, <laughs> and even then it's going to be problematic because it's a global product. So it's always going to be, you know, before the watershed somewhere. I, see, I mean, um, I don't understand, like, you know, if a kid is sitting at home listening to a football match and the whole crowd is singing, who's the wanker in the black? You know, <laughs> what's the difference between the kids who are actually in the ground and hearing far worse from all the people around them who are, you know, you know, in the heat of a football match, yeah. creatively swearing, you know, at, at pretty much everything, the players, the sky, the referee, whatever it might be. So, you know, I mean, maybe was, we need it, to... It was certainly that way at the Emirates on, on Sunday. I think mm. I heard even you swear words, words I'd never heard before were screamed at wow. Stuart Atwell in the, in the <laughs> dying minutes there. Um, and that was just from my mum. <laughs> well uh well done mrs allen what can we say happy new year to her as well uh all right look we will leave it there i was going to talk a little bit about nottingham forest but i think we kind of covered that in the in the conversation about how <clears throat> excuse me how we might be able to rotate um you know the the squad isn't that deep at the moment there is going to be uh, probably a few changes here and there but i don't think there's going to be anything particularly um weird about the starting lineup even if a couple of young players might make the bench no i think i mean i think i could hazard a guess at what the team's going to be now you know i'd go well leno Tavares, cedric pablo mari rob holding mm. and then you're probably looking at if Xhaka's fit Xhaka, laconga and then probably erdegaard saka Smith Rowe, have I got enough players? Yeah, you, you need one more. You need a striker and Kedia or Martinelli. You may even go with Lacazette, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to mm. mix things up too much. Um, no. But I'd expect us to get through. It's a re- revenge tie, obviously, because they knocked us out of the FA Cup of the third round stage a couple of years ago when we were holders. I think it was one of Mertesacker's last games. It was, was, was that the one with the fucking bizarro offside? Yeah, I mean, everything about that game was horrible we were wearing a, a terrible blue kit Murtasaka had a bit of a mare and really looked like it was the end of his career um I didn't realize until the other day when I, I double checked like the the scorers and stuff that that Ben Brereton Diaz fella who's now at Blackburn oh, yeah, and yeah. the Chilean guy he actually scored against us that day wow um so yeah I mean it, in theory it could be a banana skin but I'm definitely not expecting it to be um so I think we'll, we'll we'll progress, and then it'll be all eyes on on Liverpool, and then Spurs. It's a really big couple of weeks ahead. Sure are fun times, fun times. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, as always, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. 
BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter. He is at A. Allen Sport at A. Allen Sport. We did reference VAR in there, and we did a podcast this week on Patreon, which some of you, if you're not members, you might find interesting. It's with a guy who worked as a VAR technician, so we get to know what the communication process is, what he does, what angles they have, all of that kind of stuff. That's available for you right now on Patreon, if you sign up at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, along with instant access to everything else that we do on there as well. I'm not going to drag this out in the final bit, so James and I will be here on Monday. We'll be talking about the FA Cup game against Nottingham Forest on Sunday. Fingers crossed we can come through that. And then, of course, we do have a big, big week. Fingers crossed there are no more postponements or no other issues regarding COVID and player safety and health and all of that kind of stuff. And we can just get on with all these fixtures that we, you know, are going to go and win handsomely because, uh, yeah, why not? Why the fuck not? That is science, by the way, just uh, in case you're uh, just in case you're doubting me. So there you go. As always, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Oh, yeah. Bye bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. Breaking news right now. Liverpool's game at the weekend is off. Official confirmation that Liverpool's game has been postponed after they reported one broken toenail, a scratched knee and a case of the trots. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. We have got some breaking news for you right now. Spurs game this weekend has been postponed. The Premier League were contacted by officials at White Hart Lane who reported an outbreak of itchy ring pieces. One staff member has a sick cat, while Harry Kane has a saliva infection. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and we have got breaking news for you. Manchester United's next game has been postponed due to what is reported as an engorged neck for Cristiano Ronaldo. 
And as the saying goes, if Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't play, Manchester United don't play. That is what Cristiano Ronaldo's spokesperson told us. The spokesperson is Cristiano Ronaldo. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and we have got some breaking news for you. Chelsea's fixture this weekend has been postponed. Chelsea reported two overstretched wallets, one unfortunate interview and a star player who is at home absolutely bereft who has lost his life savings because John Terry convinced him to buy some JPEGs of cartoon apes wearing various kinds of headwear. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and we have got some breaking news for you. Good news if you're football fans. Arsenal's game is going ahead this weekend despite the fact that the Gunners have asked for a postponement having reported 16 cases of COVID-19, 3 bubonic plague, 2 consumption, 2 barrel fever, 1 bronze john and a double dose of scrumpox. However, the FA have rejected calls for a postponement and in a statement issued this evening told Arsenal tough titty. Next up on Sky Sports News, Mike Riley tells us about his new plan for refereeing and why two yellow cards for an Arsenal player will see them deported, even if they're English. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.